right, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Apples and Oranges. My name is David Wright. And I'm Jackson Wright. And we are here to start getting into the heart of this series that we're going to do. Jackson, why don't you tell people what Apples and Oranges is all about? Well, we are going to be directly comparing almost every studio album between the Beatles and the Beach Boys. Going track by track is just really based off our opinions, which ones we feel like came out best. And today we're going to be comparing Please Please Me by the Beatles to Surfing USA by the Beach Boys. That's exactly right. So what we're going to do, like you say, we're just going to go through the probably go through the Beatles catalog because they had fewer albums. And then we're going to find a good matchup for it from the Beach Boys. And we're going to go album versus album. And because, you know, the Beach Boys had more albums during the 1960s, we're not going to cover every one of theirs. But what is true is that these two bands have a lot of parallels to each other. And is they're absolutely worth comparing to one another. And so I'm looking forward to, to just tracking their progression through the decade by comparing their albums. And today we are getting started with our first album versus album matchup in the series. It's Please Please Me versus Surfing USA. So we're going to spend today going through Please Please Me, learning a little bit about the album, and then going through track by track with our opinions of it. Then we'll come back, we'll do the same thing for Surfing USA. And after that, we will both render our final judgment on which album we think is better. So actually, I'll say this up front. These two albums were released only three days apart from one another. This is the Beatles debut album, and it's the Beach Boys second album. So like we discussed in the previous episode, the Beatles got started earlier as a performing band, but the Beach Boys got started earlier in terms of producing and releasing records. So this is the Beach Boys second album, but it came, uh, the Surfing USA album came out March 25th, of 1963, Please Please Me came out on March 22nd. So these these albums basically came out at the exact same time, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they match up against each other. So Jackson, why don't you uh, take it away for us on Please Please Me. All right, like you said, Please Please Me released on March 22nd in 63. It has 14 songs on it, which for a debut album, I mean, for being a first-time album, usually 14 tracks is a little bit above average for how many songs you have on an album, but they were all strong. So it had uh, eight originals and it had six covers. So we got quite a bit of original music from them starting out. And so besides their two singles, which we have discussed, that would be Love Me Do and Please Please Me, and both of their B-sides, the rest of the 10 songs were all recorded in one day. It was, it was a marathon recording session for them just doing song after song and getting them all done in one day, which is just super impressive. It, it really reflects on how strong they were as a live act at the time. To just yeah, be- my understanding is that, that because they got it all done in one day, they they didn't like build the songs by recording one part at a time. They basically no, yeah. set up in the studio and played live like live in the studio where everybody's playing together all at once. Some of these songs were done. I know at least one was done like in one take others just in three Mm -hmm. or four takes and they were done, but they were able to like basically knock out the rest of the album, like in one, like 13 hour session. So I can't imagine what that must've been like. Very impressive to be that coordinated with each other. So in in total, the album spent 30 weeks at number one and 62 weeks at the top 10. They were just beyond excited about that as a debut album. You couldn't really ask for anything better. I mean, uh, it was a record 30 weeks yeah. at number one is insane. And I think the only reason it got finally knocked out of number one is because of the Beatles next album, <laughs> like the Beatles really? knocked themselves out Wow! after almost a year, you know, well, over half a year of being at number one, their next album took over the top spot. And so, mm-hmm. and the please, please me album, it didn't quit selling. It stayed around for over a year, just in the top 10. I don't even know how long it stayed on the total, you know, on the charts entirely. So, I mean, they're the most popular band in history. So, I mean, you kind of have to expect it, but it's still impressive. So what, what you're seeing here is that 1963 was the year that the Beatles broke out in the UK. Like that was the year of Beatlemania in the UK. Mm -hmm. People in America largely still did not know about them or it wasn't a big deal. That would all change in 1964, but 63 was the breakout year for them in England. That's right. So uh, you ready to go track by track? Almost, but there's one thing I wanted to point out. Uh, you did say how many of these songs that we're looking at today are originals? Eight of them. We got eight originals written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Yep. 
And I know when we start looking at the Beach Boys, we're going to see that most of their songs on, on Surfing USA were written by members of the band, primarily Brian Wilson. Mm-hmm. I want to point out that this was highly, highly unusual. At this time in the early 60s, coming out of the 50s, rock and roll acts largely did not write their own material. The, the labels had their own writers and producers that were either giving them material or the artists were covering songs that had become standards or had already been done by somebody else. So for a new act and, and there and for them to be so young to already come out of the gate immediately writing their own material where they're basically a self-contained band, not just performers, but creators of songs. This was really historical. This is pioneering and it speaks highly of both bands. But what's interesting is that even though it had largely never been done before, it was happening now at the same time, an ocean apart, like yeah. unaffected by each other, but just independently, we were seeing both of these bands pioneering this idea of being a self-contained band that was writing their own material. And it started with Beatles and Beach Boys. Now, I'm looking forward to, to digging into this. Before we get started, can you tell me, like before we started doing this podcast, how familiar were you with this album as an album? As an album? Not extremely. I knew, I feel like I'm probably more of a Beatles fan than you are, just in, in the sense of, you know, knowing the songs and enjoying them. Like, I'll I'll choose to listen to albums through and through. But when it comes to this one, I knew the standout tracks. Like, I knew, of course, Twist and Shout, Please Please Me, Love Me Do, I Saw Her Standing There, and, you know, a couple others. And I liked them. I knew they were catchy, but I didn't ever really think to dig much further into that, you know. No, just stick to the big hitters. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I wasn't familiar with the album tracks on here. Obviously, there's some big hits on here that I think everybody knows, and I knew them too. And you probably are a little bit more of a Beatles fan than I am. But I want to I want to make this clear: we are not coming at this like we're representing the Beach Boys, and this is a contest, oh, yeah. and my team's going to win, and yours is going to lose. We are not here to do that. We are not here to disrespect or put down the Beatles. Uh, you know, if this sounds a little too pro Beach Boys, that's not what we're doing. We we both enjoy the Beatles and we have full respect for them. And I think I said it in our intro episode, I'm going to have no problem picking the Beatles to win a given matchup if I feel like they deserve it. But I, what I will say is that I expect to learn more and discover more in the Beatles catalog just because I'm not going to have any surprises on the Beach Boys side. And that's just where I'm coming from. But I'm like you. I knew the big hits. I, I wasn't really familiar with the album as a whole. And when you decide that you're going to sit down and listen to a whole Be- Beatles album, it's probably never going to be this one, right? Because right. they have yeah. some gigantic classics in their future. But we're going to start here at the beginning, March of 1963, with these two albums. So I think we're ready to dig into it. Do you have anything on the cover of the album? Yeah. So George Martin had, after the Beatles had decided for sure of their name, George Martin thought it would be clever if he took the Beatles to the zoo and had them posed in front of the insect section. Huh. Uh, but they, when they got to the zoo, for whatever reason, they just they didn't want the band doing that. They didn't want the, they didn't want the picture taken. And George Martin didn't really feel like arguing, so he just took him to EMI and he shot him on the stairwell, looking down because he didn't really have any other ideas. There's not really any you know specific meaning or deeper message hidden within it as far as i can tell i mean everyone kind of speculates on it you know was there something that he was intending to say with this but according to george martin there's nothing special about it particularly but fun fact is that they just couldn't get the zoo to agree with him to take that picture okay and so this was actually taken at the record studio offices yeah, just on the stairwell of the record center i do know that this is the one like with the red framing around it where they eventually restaged this like at the end of the decade well it didn't originally have that red framing in the album cover they added it when they were doing their greatest hits they put the red frame around it and then on the other side when they were doing their greatest hits at their latter era they put a blue frame around it they reshot the photo with them you know with long hair and beards and grown out you know so yeah um, you see how much they changed over the course of the decade yep and uh, and they already have their mop top kind of look here even in time yeah. for this first first album so um so you can tell brian that was i'm sure all brian epstein's influence all right i think we've done enough talking about the album let's get into it track by track side one number one we're putting the vinyl on the platter we're dropping the needle what's the first song we hear 
I saw her standing there. I think it's a great rocker. It's got it's got that cool little countin, which you didn't hear a lot back then. It's pretty popular now for a lot of rock songs. But you go one, two, three, four, and then they just they come in strong. There's kind of a lot of different guitar parts there going on, and I don't know. I just I love that not really dry, but just like crispy kind of guitar tone that they kept for a lot of their early stuff. It sounds really nice. But it was the B side of "I Want to Hold Your Hand," which was which released in the U.S. in 1964. And I Want to Hold Your Hand is probably one of my favorite early Beatles songs, I would say. But I like it. I love this one. It's definitely one of the ones that I would go to whenever I chose to listen to, you know, some of the early Beatles stuff. And I'd say it's definitely at least top three in this album for me. It's an absolute banger. What a debut track on their first album. What a way to kick it off. I absolutely love this song. It's it completely, I mean, this is one of their early classics. It just grabs a hold of you immediately. I can't say enough about it. It absolutely rocks. You can, the infectious energy that this band yeah. has, the enthusiastic delivery from Paul. I mean, you can just, you can just imagine like not really knowing what to expect, listening to this new band called the Beatles for the first time. And then you, you start the record and you just hear that count off and then you're like, whoa, what well, is exactly. this? Now, this was not a single that was associated with the release of this album. So I, I want to say this kind of just to address it up front. I'm sure almost everybody knows this, but the the official Beatles discography only got unified, like standardized in the late 80s when they started reissuing on CD. Because what happened originally in the 60s was that the UK had its own release pattern and its own discography, but the United States did something completely different. I think Capitol Records ended up with the distribution rights and they started mixing and matching and reordering tracks and throwing things, grabbing things from here and putting it over there. The US discography for the Beatles is totally different. They had different album names, different track orders. It was all mixed up. And I think Canada had their own discography and it was all, it was all confusing. And, you know, speak, if we're speaking largely to an American audience here, people listening to this that may have a firsthand memory of all this happening in the 60s, they're going to have experienced this stuff differently because of how it was all presented and delivered to the American market. But in 1987, when they started doing the CDs, they got rid of all the confusion and they standardized the, the official discography. And now it tracks, it matches with what the UK did in the first place back in the 60s. So this song was never released as a single off of this album. But in 1964, a year later when they were huge in the United States, and at that point their new song, I Want to Hold Your Hand, came out. That is when this song saw release. It was a B-side in the United States a year later. I don't know why it wasn't released as a single originally, because this song is yeah. classic, Hall of Fame, absolute banger. It's fun to listen to. Like You can immediately understand why people love this band, because the, the energy just absolutely reaches out and grabs a hold of you. Sure. I, I have nothing bad to say about this track. I think it's awesome. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's a 10 out of 10 song. I love it. Yep. Very strong start. I don't know how you can start any stronger. All right. You ready to move to track two? What's track yes. two? Misery. Misery. The world is treating me bad. Misery. I'm the kind of guy who never used to cry. All right, so this was another McCartney-Lennon original, and I see it as more of a, not quite such a rocker, but still a fun song. It, it was actually originally intended as a country song for someone named Helen Shapiro, who at the time was actually the biggest female singer in the UK. And it actually ended up being recorded by another artist named Kenny Lynch, which would make this the first Beatles song to be covered by someone else. So I'm sure they're, they're pretty excited about that. And then they figured we should record it for the album. So they ended up doing it themselves. And it's a very good song. Starts out with this kind of slowly strummed chord and you're not sure where it's going to go. And they, they kind of give you a shadow of what the chorus is going to be like. 
they do a fill and then you're you're into the verses and it's more of a sustained rhythm and you know it, it picks it up a little bit and then you realize okay it's not some slow kind of sappy song which it is of course about kind of heartbreak and of course misery but it's not like some downer kind of song you know it's still catchy you get those fun beatles harmonies and guitar parts and stuff like that and i like it i i don't know if i have a lot to say about this song it other than it's such a letdown coming off of i saw her standing there i mean it's a whole it's a whole different category i don't know if they could have sequenced the tracks on this album a little bit better but to go from everything that you're just getting blown back against the wall by i saw her standing there to this was just like okay i'm on board i want to like this band i want to like this album but this song is like misery i don't know i don't know i have trouble with this song i I can't say that it does much for me i enjoy it like i would enjoy a lot of not standout beatles songs like i i I enjoy listening it listening to it you know driving or drawing or i don't know doing something else but when i'm like i wouldn't focus on hey i want i want to specifically listen on this song but you know to have fun i just i enjoy it enough you know well the fact that it is you know an original written by lennon and mccartney themselves i understand the appeal you know for hardcore fans if you're if if you if you're fully on you know bought into this and you're a big fan of the beatles Probably any original, even these these early stuff, is going to have its own reason to be interested in it. But I can't say that it excites me much as a song. But respect to them, you know, again, writing their own material. So hats off for that. We yep. ready for track three? Yep. And then track three is Anna. Anna. Okay, so I actually really, really like this song. So I was, before we were recording this, I was listening through the album, and this song came on, and it was starting with that guitar lick. And I love that guitar part. I mean, I I was listening through, and I had to double-check my phone. I was in the car. I had to double-check my phone and make sure I hadn't accidentally queued up something like a Pixie song or something. Because really, when you hear that, it sounds, to me, it sounds so alt or like, progressive or something like it sounded really similar to to, uh for example hey by the pixies specifically just the guitar part it sounds really i don't know kind of for me it feels kind of like trippy or not i wouldn't say bluesy i mean it's definitely got elements of probably a blues scale but it really is very very different in my opinion, from something like I saw her standing there are a lot of their rockers. And I just, before you hear how the verses are going to go with Anna, you just really have no idea where this song is going to go. Because for me, it sounds very different than something I would have expected from the Beatles at this time. So maybe that's just me. Maybe that's how I feel about the guitar part. But it's very interesting. I really like it. It carries the whole song because I can just listen to that on a loop for the whole thing. Interesting. No, is this an original? No, it's it's a cover of a of an Arthur Alexander song that came out in 1962. I, I've never heard of what you said, Arthur Alexander. Did his version of the song have that same guitar part that you like, or is that something that Beatles came up with? Yeah, so his version of the song actually used a piano to cover that, what would become the guitar riff there. But to me, for his version, I just didn't get that same vibe. I don't know if it was the guitar tone that, that the Beatles used, I mean, or how they played it or something, but... uh. For me, they really took that song and took it somewhere else, and I I enjoy it. It's not one of my absolute favorites on the album, but I do enjoy listening to it. And it it isn't original, of course, but I like it. I got to say, this one also kind of, it's hard for me to get into this just because it's kind of plodding, you know, and kind of slow. But you you are a guitarist. You play guitar. And so you've just kind of, like, made me pause to consider the value of this, like just from the guitar work that's happening. So I'll have, I might have to go back and like spend some more time with the song and see what I think of it. I mean, um, I, just judging off the sound, it should, it's not something that would be, I don't think incredibly hard to play. I don't want to judge harshly against songs because 
they're not what I'm secretly hoping they're going to be. You know, in other words, I'm ready to rock. I'm ready to party. I want to hear everything to be like I I saw her standing there. And if that's not what the Beatles are doing, then I can't judge. I, I need to judge them on what they're trying to do, like on their own merits and not my own preconceptions. And that's going to apply to people that are hearing the, a lot of the Beach Boys stuff we end up covering for the first time because the Beach Boys very quickly moved away from a rock and roll sound and their stuff became a lot softer, you know, and just kind of more like <laughs> more like grown-up music, you know, and it's like if you're here to rock, you're probably not going to like any of the Beach Boys stuff, even in their best stuff. And I don't want to be guilty of the same thing with the Beatles. Although I do expect more rockers early in their catalog, mm -hmm. and I saw her standing there is so strong, and then between Misery and Anna are like they're like killing my buzz. They're they're dragging me down. It's it's definitely a decline in the energy, a steady decline. But I will now that you've you know you're telling me how interested you are in the guitar part. I will I will uh, spend some more time on it, see if I like it. It's just a very interesting choice to go with. I feel like probably not as a song in general, but the placement of where they're putting on the album is just interesting choice. All right, very good. Well, let's go on to the next song. What do we have up next? We got chains. Chains, my baby's got me locked up in chains. And they ain't the kind that you can see. Alright, what do you think about that one? Well, I don't feel as strongly about this song as I do on a lot of the songs about the album. It's a cover of a 1962 song written by Jerry Groffin and the Timeless Carol King. And really? Carol King wrote this? Yep. Mm -hmm. And it was a hit for a girl group called The Cookies. And this huh. is actually the first song on this album that has a lead vocal by George Harrison. That's Oh, okay. So that's George that we're hearing sing that. Yeah, got that standard blues progression. I haven't tried playing it yet, but I'm sure it's probably like a one, four, five kind of thing going on, which is really common chord progression for a lot of blues songs. That's just what I'm hearing. Could be wrong. So is that is that John's harmonica again that we're hearing come in at the top? That yeah, has to mm -hmm. be, he's uh he's going back to the harmonica, which I feel like this song is picking back up the energy, kind of going back into the rocker kind of songs. It just doesn't quite come off as strong as I saw standing there for me personally. It's interesting you see that you are less enthusiastic about this one than you are Anna. I'm the opposite. I like this one better than Misery or Anna. I still wouldn't call it a rocker, but it's catchy. It has a little bounce yeah. to it. You know, it's got like a little country tinge, blues, little rhythm. I find it very listenable. I'm bopping along to it. You know, it's as I was listening to this album, I was listening to it, coming at it with goodwill, you know, like ready and willing to love every track. And it was hard with Misery and Anna, but this one I was starting to get into it a little bit. So I, I can definitely feel it. It's catchy. It's interesting to me that George is singing on this. Like, yeah. I know enough about the Beatles to know that with the later albums, you know, from 65 onward or 66 onward, there are a certain number of tracks that go to George or go to Ringo, even though it's always mostly John and Paul. I guess I went into this assuming that this was all John and Paul in these early albums. And I guess all of the originals here are written by them, but we're also getting George singing, which I wasn't really expecting. So that's kind of cool. Most of them are guitarists. All of them can sing. All of them can songwrite. And obviously we didn't get demonstration of any Harrison songs or Ringo songs on this. But as we know, they would also become excellent songwriters in their careers. They're just an extremely talented group of musicians and it shows. It's also interesting to me to hear Carol King's name. I, I guess I didn't realize she was writing this early in the 60s. I, I know her mostly for her songwriting, I guess, mostly from the 70s, but um, that's kind of neat. And this is a girl, this was originally recorded by a girl group, and the, yeah. and the Beatles are covering it. But also, it's not really specific to girls either. So, no. it, I mean, it, I, I have not heard the Cookies version of the song, but I just, it's hard for me to kind of picture in my mind of female vocals on this, but that's probably because I've never heard it. All right, so I guess we we both kind of like that one. I don't know if there's much else to say about it. It was not a single, right? It's just an just another album track, and it was another cover. So um, why don't we go on to the next track? What's what do we have up next? We got boys.
So this song was a cover of a 1960 song that was done by the girl group The Shirelles. And oh. this song, fun fact, it was done in just one take, which is, I mean, it's almost unheard of to get a song done in one take like this. Lead vocals by Ringo, which is something that we have not heard before. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And it was a song that Pete Best would sing when he was with the group. And then it was one that Ringo used to sing when he was with his previous band, Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. So it was almost like the drummer was always the one, you know, <laughs> sing this song. Huh. Uh, but sounds to me, it sounds kind of similar to What I Say by Ray Charles. Definitely. I was yeah. going to say that. I definitely got some major Ray Charles vibes from this song. Let's listen to a little piece of, of Ray Charles. She the girl with the diamond ring. She knows how to shake that thing all right now. Yeah, I definitely hear that. What I say, there's definitely some like R&B, soul, rockabilly, definitely channeling some Ray Charles there. So uh, yeah. yeah, that's a lot of fun. I definitely hear probably like another blues kind of 145 chord progression here again, but I really like it. I like it a lot more than I like Chains. It feels like there's a lot of energy in there. I love the, you know, tap, tap, shoe wop kind of thing going on. Oh, yeah. it, just makes it just makes it a lot more fun. And I, I just really like it. It's a good, good song. Yeah, uh, Ringo sounds good here. He's into it, you know. I guess my impression of Ringo as a singer is kind of like comic relief, you know. He's doing like Octopus's Garden and Yellow Submarine. Yeah, but he, he's he definitely doesn't have that like uh, screaming persona like anything like John Lennon has. But it feels kind of like catchy. It feels it make, kind of makes you smile kind of more. Yeah, interesting that they're again covering a girl group. Yeah. And he, they, they don't really bother to like switch the perspective around. They're just singing it the way that a yeah. girl would have sung it. But, you know, it also, it works. I mean, you're telling me that this was oh. in their set when Pete Best was the drummer and yeah. that Ringo was singing it when he was with Roy Storm. What were you going to say? Well, I, I was just going to say, I wonder if, if they didn't change anything about how it was done, because I wonder if that was like legal reasons. Like back then you couldn't, they wouldn't have been able to cover the song and change the lyrics around like that you know well i don't know i don't i don't know i think they could have done that i know later on the beach boys do it with then i kissed her they they flipped that around so th this is something the beach boys did they covered songs by girl groups then i kissed her is their version of then he kissed me and then later they would do i can hear music which was i believe ronettes if i'm not mistaken or at least Ronnie Spector. But here, the Beatles doing it first. And um, I have to say, it, it, I agree with you. It's catchy. This is a good one. And Ringo does a good job with it. I like the rhythm of it. I like the Ray Charles vibe for sure. So I'll give I'll give an A for, for boys. All right, that's good. So next we have Ask Me Why, which is track number six. Another McCartney and Lennon original. Ask Me Why. I love you. What do you think of that one, bud? Yeah, I'm not as crazy about it as I have been a lot of the other McCartney Lennon originals. It's catchy, kind of more of a, not really sad song, but it's definitely not one of the rockers that they've been doing, which, well, I mean, doesn't mean it's worse of a song. It's got some nice calling and answering between the backing, you know, woo -woo -woos, that fades off of the, of the chorus of the main melody. And I like it. They already had this song done and recorded. It wasn't done in the marathon take. So it was the B-side to Please Please Me. Oh. And it was mostly a John Lennon song. And a fun fact is the opening guitar phrase was taken from What's So Good About Goodbye by The Temptations. Really? Yeah. Oh, let's see if we can hear a part of that. I don't know. I don't know if I hear it. Do you? Well, they definitely put their own spin on it. It's definitely not a mirror image of it. But I mean, if John says he got it for the Temptations, I guess you have to believe him. I would say it's it's different. It's different enough that unless you're a super big Temptations fan that you'll probably would never notice. This is a total snoozer for me. 
I just, I cannot stay interested in this song to save my life. I don't know how it, I guess the only reason it made it as a B-side is because they had it. Like they had the song, something John already had created and they needed something to go on the other side of the record. I don't know, but um, I, I don't know. I don't have, I don't have much to say about this one. I, it puts me to sleep. Maybe this song has its fans, but it, I'm not one of them. Yeah. I think I'll have to go with you. So far, it's definitely my least favorite of what we've gotten. Yeah, it's a skipper. Let's let's don't spend any more time on this track. What do you have next? This is coming up next. We have the closer for side one. What is it? They end it with "Please, please me." Ah, the title track. So yeah, that's Please Please Me. That was a single that came out in advance of this album. So by the time the album hit, audiences were already very familiar with it. Of course, we've already done a deep dive on this song in our previous episodes. We don't have to go fully into it here. But tell me, what do you think about its inclusion in the sequence here, having it close out side one? I think it's a really smart move. I think it's a good way, and it's used by a lot of artists. You you uh, put pretty much your strongest songs, start out with your strong, one of your strongest, like they did with I Saw Her Standing There. You'll put some good ones in the middle. I feel like they did that here with uh, Chains and probably Boys too. And they closed it with Please Please Me, kind of like a hook, like, hey, put the other disc on. There's more, there's more good stuff. Put your good songs at the end, and that's usually a good way to get people to keep listening throughout the rest of the albums. Well, you know, this is one of the songs that the audience is going to be most familiar with. It was their biggest hit up to this time. Yeah. So, you know, that's, you have to think that's one of the reasons people are going to buy this album. And so a lot of times you might lead off an album with an, with an established hit. This time, obviously, they had a lot of confidence already, and I saw her standing there. But anyway, that is Please Please Me. I do think it's a strong song. I think we judged that we like Love Me Do a little bit better. But you know, I have to say so far, side one, it was lacking a little bit, you know, and we start off strong with the very first track and and we put we put a strong song here at the end. So we have a nice little, I guess, nice little uh, bookend sandwich action going on here on side one. So anything else you want to say about Please Please Me? Nope. Yeah, we've already kind of went into it in depth previously, so let's let's lift the needle up. Let's flip the record over, drop the needle back down on side two, track one. What do we have? Love me do. Well, again, we already talked about that one, too. Here we kind of have the two lead singles, the hit singles that came out in advance of the album, back-to-back, essentially, one to close out side one, one to kick off side two. Any thoughts? I'd say it's definitely one of my favorites on the record, definitely top three. It's a good choice, again, to put it at the very beginning of the record, keep people listening. It's a great song. Yeah, I don't have much more to add. I'm, I'm just curious what the thought process was that made you close out side one with one of your lead singles, but you didn't apply the same logic to side two. Does it mean you, they had more confidence in Twist and Shout than they had in I Saw Her Standing There? Or do they just want to kind of have these songs back to back? Or was there really no rhyme or reason to it at all? It just seems like it's a little inconsistent, but I mean, that's fine. You know, these were the songs people knew, and here we have them right here in the middle of the record. Still love the song, but at this point, I think it's safe to say it was probably already played out. Like people had already enjoyed it and had moved on to the next thing by the Beatles by the time we got this album. So it's just nice to have it included on this album because as we will discover very soon, the Beatles often did not put their hit songs on albums at all. Some of their biggest songs, their biggest hits in their catalog, we won't even properly discuss in this series because they don't appear on any albums. And that actually happens in 1963. And I'll talk about that here as we, at, at the end of this episode when we're wrapping up the album. So let's, unless you've got anything else, let's just go ahead and go straight into the second track. No, yeah, track two. It's called P.S. I Love You. As I write this letter, send my love to you. Keep all my love forever. 
Yep, so this is another McCartney and Lennon original. Fans had already been familiar with it because it was the it was the B-side to the single Love Me Do. So people have already kind of heard this before. It was on it was Andy White was on the drums for this track. And most of it was written by Paul while he was in Germany. And uh, it didn't really get to be a hit in the US until 1964. It got to be a top 10 hit. But yeah, everybody pretty much already knew this, knew this song, Love Me Do and PS I Love You, right next to each other on the album overall. I think it's a very nice song, very catchy, and I think it fits as a B-side to Love Me Do. It's very similar in feel, but it's also, you know, not quite on the same level as Love Me Do, I feel like, quality-wise, which is usually what the B-side is like. They kind of grouped all four of these songs here in the middle of the album listening experience, right? The, yeah. the four songs that they already had in the can before they went into that marathon recording session in February of 63. They had the two singles and the two B-sides, and we get them all in a row. Or we get Ask Me Why and Please Please Me at the end of side one. Now we get Love Me Do and P.S. I Love You. And I believe Andy White was only at one recording session. That was back in September yeah. of 62, right? So this is this song dates back to that session, and they were able to to get this out on, on the B-side of the single. So, so, you know, the idea of sending letters or whatever, that was kind of a recurring theme in songs, I feel like. You know, you already had Hey, Mr. Postman that had been a hit at this time. And I believe the Beatles end up, covering it and um, well i know they performed it i'm thinking we're going to see it on a album in one of the early albums I'm not totally sure i'll find out then later i believe it came later in the decade someone had a song called the letter mm-hmm. that i know that the beach boys performed and you know just an interesting way to structure a song i guess i don't know i don't have much else i can say about it it doesn't it doesn't do a lot for me yeah i'm not crazy about this song kind of I just can't get into it. It kind of drags me down. I just really don't like it, to be honest. It's it's mid-tempo. It's not really a ballad. Yeah. It's not a sweet love song that I think would appeal to girls. And it's not a rocker that's going to appeal to boys. It's kind of this bland. It's, it's kind of like a lukewarm kind of... Yeah. Everything mm-hmm. about it is just mid. Uh, yeah. I'm not loving it. I would have I would have much rather preferred Chains as a B-side to Love Me Do then P.S. I love you. I think that would be a stronger choice. Yeah, and then because it was a cover, it existed at that time of the recording session back in September. They could have chosen any of these covers. The originals they might not have had ready, but Chains could have been an option. But, oh well, that's, that's kind of what they did. If you don't have anything else on it, let's move on to the next track. Nope, next track. Well, what's the name of this next one? Baby, it's you. Baby, it's you. Now this one I really like. It seems it, it's really calm. The background vocals are just they kind of like are gentle or sweeping. It's just really it's like it kind of like an easy listening kind of song for me. I just hear it as really calming and I like it a lot. It, it's not it's not a rocker, but that doesn't mean it's not a good song. They definitely put their own spin on it. If you listen to both versions of the song, you can definitely tell the difference in the style that the Beatles had at the time. But overall, I think it's definitely one of the stronger songs in the record because there's good contrast to a lot of the rockers that are on here. Interesting that the Beatles now have two Shirelle covers on this first album of theirs. Someone must have been a fan. Maybe all of them are. Any any Brian Wilson fan, any Beach Boys or Beatles fan ought to perk up at the name Burt Bacharach. Pay attention. Oh, for sure. But as far as what I think of the song, I don't know. Is this what the early Beatles were really supposed to be about? These all just kind of, they sound a little bored. I mean, I know that the Beatles were incredible performers. They were electrifying on stage. We hear that in some of their songs. And we know that they were very much veterans of the stage at this point because of all the hours they had put in in Hamburg and all this stuff. But these songs are not, they're not grabbing a hold of me like I know that this band is capable of doing so. I don't know. I'm remaining disappointed, I have to say. Well, I mean, I just like the contrast. As as far as a lot of the soft songs that are on this record, I'm not a big fan of. But it's honestly a highlight of the album for me just because it's so it's just refreshing and I like it. it it's a change. If you're skipping, you know, the tracks like Anna or Misery or probably Ask Me Why and you just stick into, you know, the big ones, then I would Maybe it's used just like a nice little change in the tempo, you know. It's okay. All right, so it makes your playlist. Okay, so let's go to the next track. It is "Do You Want to Know a Secret?" Listen, do you want to know a secret? Do you 
promise not to tell. Alright, so this is a McCartney and Lennon original, and this is, a, again, another lead vocal by George. And this would not be a hit in the U.S. until 1964, like a lot of these Beatles songs right now, but it did hit number two, so very close to being another number one hit. And Lennon was inspired by I'm Wishing from the Snow White movie, so not sure how I really got this song out of that, but, you know, it's a good song, and I really like a lot of the guitar parts. They're catchy, they're poppy, they kind of carry the song for me, and George does a great job with that lead vocal. Yeah, it's interesting we get George again. I didn't, I, again, I wasn't expecting any George on this album. Now we get him twice. So you said this was inspired by the, by Snow White? Yeah, for the song I'm Wishing. Interesting. Well, I, let's listen to a little bit of that. I'm wishing, I'm wishing for the Okay, well, if he says so, if he says that's an inspiration, then... All right, then. So what do you uh, think about this song? Well, you know, I, again, I'm not blown away. There's been very few songs on here that have blown me away. I do see already that these Lennon and McCartney songs, not all of them are truly Lennon and McCartney. I mean, there's definitely a case of where some are more McCartney than Lennon, and there's others that are more Lennon than McCartney. You know, yeah. they, they just made an agreement. They would always put both their names on the songs even though they were both, they were each coming to the table kind of with their own ideas. And, and so this is a, this is a John song. And, you know, I think we just have to look at this album as baby steps. You know, this was their first effort and they had to come up with a bunch of material and get it out in a hurry. Obviously they got it all done in one day. So anyway, when we're looking at these Lennon and McCartney album tracks, you know, they're not, they're not rockers. I think I need to adjust my expectations. I was expecting more rock and roll. I was expecting an album full of, I want to hold your hand and I saw her standing there and can't buy me love or, or stuff like that. And we're, we're not getting that. So maybe, maybe that shows up on the next album. So I'm not excited by this song, but I'm starting to think that's a me problem and not a Beatles problem. You're saying that about a lot of these songs. I, I know, I know. So what do you think about it? It goes right in the mid category for me. So there, there's the songs that I really like that I'll listen to pretty often. There's the songs that I'll probably never listen to. And there's songs that I will sometimes listen to if I'm really, really in the mood for some early Beatles songs. And this probably goes in that last category. So it's, it's catchy enough to where I'll enjoy it. But I probably, again, won't just go out of my way to listen to it just by itself or add it, or probably add it to any playlist either. You know what I'm saying? So All right. Very good. Well, let's keep going. All right, next up, we got Taste of Honey. A taste of honey, tasting much sweeter than wine. Okay, I've got some trivia on this that is going to blow your mind. But before I get to it, let me just ask you, what, what do you think of the song? I think it starts out really dramatic with that drawn-out chord. And the vocals are kind of, I don't know, overemphasized or something like that. And then it kind of comes into that swaying kind of verse. But I, I'm not really crazy about it. It just kind of is a little too slow for me. And, you know, it's, I think it's probably out of all of the songs that we've heard from Side 2, which so far I think Side 2 has been a big improvement from Side 1. It's probably, probably the lowest that we've heard from Side 2 so far. Really? <laughs> That's funny because I'm the opposite. <laughs> oh. uh, with with, with uh, you know, not not counting Love Me Do, I think this is this is the best track we've heard so far on really? side two. And just like I prefer Chains over Anna, and you prefer Anna over Chains, I really, you know, at this point I'm looking for something to like. Because again, this is not a rocker, but what the first thing that strikes me about this song is it sounds like a cowboy song. Like it sounds like something from an old Western singing cowboy kind of movie. A yeah. taste of honey. I don't know. It kind of, it, despite who's singing it, it brings to mind like some Roy Rogers cowboy out on the range <laughs> strumming along on some little ukulele or something. I don't know. It. I can just imagine this song being played over the opening credits of some big John Ford Western with gigantic title on the screen. And that's just kind of what it brings to mind for me for whatever reason. I don't know why it should necessarily. And so I like it. I mean, it's it's got a little swing to it. It's got that little old timey feel. And, you know, like I said, at this point, I'm looking for something to like it. I'm trying to adjust my expectations at this point. We're almost through the album yeah. for what to expect, you know, and I, I, I do. I like it. Now, it's again, I'm not going to 
crank up the volume when it comes on. But, you know, there's there's an appeal here that I, I can get into. But I've got trivia for you. So this is not an original song from McCartney and Lennon. And as a matter of fact, it either was or it quickly became a pop standard, which means it was commonly covered by tons of artists, like all the time. It's just a song people did. It started life as an instrumental piece for a 1958 UK stage play. Like I guess it was on West End. But 1960, it was adapted for Broadway, and the song became popular. Again, it was instrumental. It was from the stage play, from the score of the play, I guess. So this initially existed without lyrics, without, without vocals, without words. And again, this has been something that has been covered by a multitude of artists. People like Quincy Jones would end up covering this, that he has an instrumental version of this. But guess who recorded the first vocal version of this song, like the first recorded release of this song that has actual lyrics and has a singer on it. Guess who put out this record? Who? You'll never guess. You'll never guess. Who? Billy D. Williams. What? Hello, what have we here? In 1961, 20 years before we meet Lando Calrissian in Cloud City on Bespin in The Empire wow. Strikes Back, Billy D. Williams, that Billy D. Williams records this song in what, 1961. No I, did, listen, I, didn't listen. Can... I got it. I've got it right here. Let's listen oh, to it. Okay. But I'll take with me the warmth of a taste of honey, a taste much sweeter than wine. That is Lando Calrissian singing A Taste of Honey. Wow, and I was Beatles, not expecting that. I <laughs> know. I found that out. I was like, are you kidding me? Suddenly, I like Taste of Honey a whole lot more. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't even know he was singing or doing anything of that. Does he, does he have like a recorded like career doing songs or something i think i did know he was a singer obviously better known as an actor but i didn't know he was recording in 1961 that means the beatles knew billy d williams as a singer back when they were doing their very first album and they're like hey let's cover that billy d williams song so that just kind of blows me away and then paul probably went to go see star wars and saw him and saw that's my singing buddy (laughs) oh yeah that's lando we covered his song we did it better than he did okay (laughs) All right. So anyway, that's all I have on Taste of Honey, but I think that's amazing. And yeah, that's that's crazy. And it's it's a song that, like, you know, you say doesn't do much for you, but it has become a standard that a lot of people have covered. As a matter of fact, Barbara Streisand was just getting started with her career and her very first album ever was in January of 63. She had just released her album when the Beatles went in for this marathon recording session in February. And on her album, she has a version of taste of honey so that's just one example like i said quincy jones also ended up doing a piano cover version so it's it's a standard that's covered by a bunch of people but the first version to have words on it was from billy d williams Hmm. wow yeah that's awesome our next track is track number six it's called there's a place All right, we're back into it. I really like this song. I think it's another one of their strong ones on side two. And uh, like I said before, I think I think right now side two is looking a lot better than side one did. Even though you have I Saw Her Standing There and Please Please Me, arguably some of the, you know, the best songs in the album. I'd say side two is looking a lot stronger right now. But there's a place. It's nice. It's catchy. It's fast. And it's actually a little bit deeper of a topic than a lot of these songs that we've heard from most of the Beatles songs so far. And it was actually the first song that they recorded in this marathon recording session they did on February 11th for 13 hours. This was the first one they did. I think they got it in like three takes, so which is it was very impressive. And really, it has lyrically, it's very similar to In My Room, which we would see from the Beach Boys pretty soon. 
Yeah, that's what struck me when he goes, there's a place yeah. where I can go. I mean, you know, that's Brian Wilson territory. But, you know, I don't know if the Beatles' voices are working for me on this type of song. I mean, you're right. This is a deeper song. It's a little bit more introspective. Like, if you listen to the topic, like if you listen to what the lyrics are about, similar to the theme and the subject matter that we will hear soon from the Beach Boys with the song In My Room. But And again, the Beach Boys have sweeter voices. And the, yeah. the Beatles have a brashness and the harshness to their voice, which works for them really well on the hard numbers. But I don't think they figured out their soft voice yet. You know, you still, you st I think you st they still have a, a rawness to their sound. I think this deserved a softer treatment, a softer delivery than what John gave us here. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Is this John? Am I right about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that probably the reason that is is probably because a lot of their live songs, the songs they would do on stage, were probably not numbers like this. They probably stuck to the rock kinds of songs. And I'm just guessing. I mean, that makes sense to me. But, you know, they probably haven't practiced too much. But they still did it like only the Beatles could. And it's an original song. And, yeah, maybe, maybe another group could have done it better or if the Beatles had figured out more of their soft voices then it could have been better, but I still feel like it, it fits in with the rest of the theme of the album pretty well. Okay. I do like it. I like it. I mean, I, to me, I would rather hear an original song written by the band dealing yeah. with a serious topic, right. Then, then another Shirelles cover. So yeah, we get that here. So there, I can respect that. And I like that. I just, once I saw the parallel to like, you're trying, you're trying to write a Brian Wilson song here. You don't sound like Brian Wilson, dude. So, no, yeah. Uh, but, but I think, I think Beach Boys definitely, uh, for now, take the trophy for when it comes to the soft songs, you know? Yeah, like we've already talked about, the Beatles totally win on personalities. Yeah, and for I sure. I think a, a lot of their songs, a lot of their sales are driven by the fact that the fans liked them as people and not necessarily because every single song was awesome, which... You know, I'm not trying to put it down. I think we will soon get albums from them where that it is true that every single song is awesome. But I, I don't think that's happening on this album. But I think their personalities were such a strong force that it drove. I think I'm, I'm guessing it was their star power that sold this album more than the actual songs. Is what yeah, I'm that's getting. probably true. Even though I, I have no doubt that we will see the quality of their songs go up sharply. But nonetheless, it's an original talking about a serious topic. You know, got to respect that. So I like it. I put it in the plus column. Yeah, me too. I like it. Are we ready to close out this album? I think so. I've been looking forward to this closing track with every, with oh, yeah. every like, eh, every mid-level song that makes me go, what? I'm like, well, I know there's a prize here at the end. I know what was coming on the final yeah. track. Which was definitely intentional, by the way. Track number seven, side two. Drop the needle. What is it? Twist and shout. Hey, that is what I'm talking about. That oh, yeah. is more like it. Love it. That, uh, absolute banger. Now, that is how you end an album. They, for whatever, for, for any other faults, they started this album right and they ended this album right. I absolutely love this version of this song. It You can't help but get caught up in it. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves this song. It's a classic. I mean, it's still popular with kids my age because most kids my age don't listen to the Beatles, but I do. And whenever I talk about them, they're like, oh, yeah, I love Twist and Shout. You know, everybody, <laughs> everybody my age still at least knows this one. OK, yeah, you're a senior in high school, so it's cool to know that friends your age are aware of the Beatles, at least when it comes to this song, Twist and Shout. When I was in high school, my generation was introduced to this song thanks to the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which famously had a <laughs> sequence using the Beatles Twist and Shout and that was that was kind of how we all learned about the song for at least for a lot of us but in 1988 going into my senior year of high school there was another group that covered this song and it was the rap trio salt and pepper your sauce your mic your pepper your mic your spin you have 
a classic. Peak at number two in the United States in 64. And it's remained a classic ever since because, I mean, it just speaks for itself. It's a great song, just an absolute rocker. I think it's a fairly well-known story. Probably everybody knows this. This was the final song they recorded that night on February 11th of Mm -hmm. 63. They saved it for last because they knew it would be very hard on John's vocals. He'd actually been fighting a cold the whole day. So they recorded this, and I assume they must have done it in one take because his voice was shot after this. Yeah. They, they had saved, and maybe this is one reason why the other songs were performed the way they were, because they needed all the energy for this song that they knew they were going to have to absolutely nail at the very end of their marathon session. And I have to say, as far as that goes, it worked out because this song is mm, absolute banger. Can't yeah. complain about it. That's but crazy. anyway, I think that that wraps up our discussion track by track. Well, can you give me kind of your overall feel for this album? We're not judging this yet. We're going to our next episode. We're going to come back. We're going to do the other side of this matchup when we talk about Surfing USA. But just looking at this album, like what are your general thoughts of this album as a whole now that we've gone through it all? Well, overall, it's not as strong as I expected it to be, to be honest, for, from all the uh, hype that has been made around it. I feel like maybe some of that hype was generated about from the fact that the Beatles got so huge. And then, you know, some of that popularity kind of leaks over to, oh, their first album was so good. But I mean, it does have some great songs on it, but the songs that are not great are very not great. And that kind of drags it down a little bit. But overall, strong record, especially for recording it like they did as a marathon and not really having such a recording career up to this point. I think it's really good. Very strong. Yeah, you know, I kind of feel the same way. This is an album that has very high peaks and very wide valleys. Yeah. The songs that are on here that are good are great, but most of these album tracks are very, very skippable. Now, we say that removed from the hype of the day, right? Like, I think this album's stature is helped by the fact that the Beatles caught on a year later in the United States when they probably already had another album. I don't know the timeline yet. I'll, I'm learning this as we go, but I do know that they had some additional songs come out in 1963 that are not on any albums. But I think that like, again, this album was sold on the force of their personalities and on their star power more than it was on the songs themselves. Because I can tell you the, the two singles, Please Please Me and Love Me Do. And then the the opener and the closer on this album, I saw her standing there in Twist and Shout. Gigantic. Those two are better than the singles. I don't know why they weren't released, but they are massive. I mean, they blow you away. Yeah. Honestly, I can skip everything else on this album. It's like there's two peaks on either end, and it's just a wasteland in between. We get little blips with Please Please Me and Love Me Do, but you know, those songs had already come out before. They had played out. It was nice that they were included, but the only new stuff here are these two on the, on each end. I think that's going to do it for now. Do you have any other parting thoughts? Well, yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed learning all those little tidbits about songs that I didn't know before, but looking forward to being able to compare it to Surfing USA by the Beach Boys and ultimately see which one we like better. But yeah, enjoy it, and we will see you off episode two. Yeah, I have really enjoyed this experience of learning about the Beatles. I'm looking forward to learning more about them. I think I'm a little bit let down by this album, but I also know that there's a whole lot of really, really good stuff coming. So I think the audience, if they follow us, if they listen to every episode, they're going to see my journey of discovery. They're going to they're gonna see me discover and learn and react and to, to being exposed to this body of work in a way I've never really dug into before. So I'm looking forward to that. You're exactly right. We're going to be back next week for the other side of this matchup, Surfing USA by the Beach Boys. And at the end of that episode, we are both going to render our final judgment on which album we think is better. So until then, let's all come together and enjoy some good vibrations. This is Apples and Oranges with David and Jackson Wright.